Welcome to Love Rules, the radio ministry of Roxbury Presbyterian Church in Boston. My mom, Liz Walker, was Boston's first African-American television news anchor, but her most important job is what she does right now at RPC, preaching the good news about God's love. The Bible says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. How does that work? Join my mom now as she offers us Love Rules from Roxbury Presbyterian Church. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Love Rules. Today's message, who's writing your story? Our text today is from John, the 8th chapter, the 3rd through 11th verses. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. There are hundreds of theories about what Jesus wrote in the dirt that day before the woman caught in the act of adultery and her accusers. Some say he was listing her sins, or maybe he was listing the accuser's sins. There are commentaries that insist he was doing what rabbis and priests are compelled to do in that situation. He was writing the law and the names of those accused of breaking it. But I've thought about this text, and I was wondering about this idea. Jesus was rewriting the woman's story. We know this episode happened as the Pharisees' way of testing Jesus, because the text tells us so. Threatened and afraid of him, religious leaders were constantly trying to get him to contradict the law. Verse 6, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing Jesus. The woman and her sins were probably not even that important at this moment. Oh, of course, she was considered a sinner and, and she was going to have to face her consequences. But I would argue that the religious leaders were just taking aim at Jesus and using this woman as a prop. Everyone in this scenario had their own view of this woman's life. Not just her sin, but her life. She was to be condemned. They threw the law of Moses at her. Not to help her, not even to teach her the law, but in order to shame her, condemn her. And that's what I want to talk to you about today, this notion of shame. You see, we all suffer from shame. We struggle with self-confidence. We get information from all kinds of sources, TV shows, magazines, family, well-meaning friends, not-so-well-meaning friends, our paychecks, our titles, our husbands, our wives, and all this information has the potential of shaming us. We end up not feeling worthy, feeling tired and weary, 
feeling that there's something really wrong with us. But the Bible assures us there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. What words of deliverance? There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Now, that does not mean there's not a consequence for our sins. This woman sinned. I'm not trying to uh, take her out of that. She did something that was really wrong, and there's always a price to pay for sin. There is always the need for repentance and, and for change. And, and Jesus told this woman, go and, and leave your sins. Don't sin anymore. But that's not where shame is found, you see. There's a difference between guilt, this guilt that comes with, with committing sins, and shame. Guilt, you see, is a focus on behavior. Shame can be a focus on the problem of self. Let me say that again. Guilt is a focus on behavior. I did something wrong. Shame focuses on the problem of self. Guilt is a feeling of responsibility or remorse for something you've done. Shame is the pain of the perception of how you may appear to yourself or to others. And the problem with shame is it can contort our real stories in ways that become unrecognizable. Jesus wants to change your story. Jesus can rewrite your story. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor or black or white or in therapy or, or you're a preacher or you're a woman or you're a man. We all can suffer from shame. But the good news is there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And when shame is not checked, it can affect so many other issues. Author Brene Brown, who is just an amazing sociologist and an observer of the human condition and and a, a wonderful writer, says that when we dig past the surface, we find that shame is often what drives us to hate our bodies, to fear rejection to stop taking risks in life that are good, or to hide the experiences and part of our lives that we fear others might judge. You'd be amazed at some of the people who are in public lives, who, who live lives of, of a lot of bravado and, and, a, and a lot of bluster, who really suffer from shame. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Shame is an epidemic in our culture. And it's a strategy that's used more and more in the public domain. In this presidential election, in this campaign, this name-calling, this hostile confrontations, these public humiliations, that's all a part of shaming people. Shaming people is what kids do on the Internet. That's what bullying is about. And, and these kids these days use Facebook and Twitter and all the other technological tools of communication to shame each other. You can find shaming even in the church. I am so thankful you've joined us today. Remember, Love Rules is totally listener-supported. Won't you make a donation right now to keep this program on the air? Log on to RoxburyPresbyterianChurch.org and click on Giving. That's RoxburyPresbyterianChurch.org. Click on Giving. Thank you. God bless you. Shame is an epidemic that can be found anywhere in our culture, even in the church. 
You see, we shame each other when we make harsh judgment. Luke 6.37, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. You see, that's harsh judgment. Now, that doesn't mean that we are not to lovingly correct and lovingly encourage each other and even in some cases judge each other lovingly as leaders of the church and as people who love each other. But there's a difference between what you do lovingly and what you do with this kind of harshness. There is a necessary discernment and critique that we do have to have to support each other. The problem comes with the spirit of condemnation. As Christians, we can be really judgmental. You know we can. But the trouble comes when this judgment turns into condemnation. And we do this sometimes without thinking. It's an impulse. Now, Matthew 12, 36 says, everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for everything, everything we've done, every empty word we have spoken. But this harsh judgment is something we need to think about and to check ourselves on. Because this harsh judgment usually stems from self-judgment. Because we suffer ourselves from shame. But here is the good news. And really the only news that counts. (laughs) We need not be ashamed with Jesus. John 3.17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Romans 8.1.2, again, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives you life has set you free from the law of sin and death. I know a lot of people who battle shame. I've battled it myself. I've done a lot of things in my life that have left me ashamed. But it was when I learned to seek Jesus' forgiveness, and it was when I really believed that Jesus does forgive, that I have learned any lingering shame is based not on truth, but on a lie. Because when Jesus forgives us, he rewrites our stories. Neurobiologist and Christian Kurt Thompson has written a series of books on storytelling and how they can actually change the way we live because they can change our brains. Now, we're not talking about changing the facts of your story. We have all done things that are wrong. But the way we see the story, the way we uh, begin to wrap our lives around the story, it will always be significant, but it does not have to be all there is about you. It can be part of a larger story. When Jesus steps into your life, he changes your story. Ultimately, we become what we pay attention to. And there are always choices. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, said that those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on the Spirit and what the Spirit desires. You know, it's like that old song, and I wish I could sing, but I'm not going to bring you down. The song says, I woke up this morning with my mind stayed on Jesus. I woke up this morning with my mind stayed on the Lord. God has to get our attention and keep our attention. And that's how we can stop 
concerning ourselves with those events that shame us. That is how testimonies are born. I I used to be over there, but I'm not what I used to be because of Jesus Christ. There is nothing that you have done that has to define your whole life, no matter where you are right now. You could be sitting in a prison cell and think that nobody would ever want to love you again. You could be in a situation where you've done something so wrong, you can't even admit it to yourself. But listen to me, Jesus can rewrite your story. Jesus can rewrite your story. You have to internalize that truth. You have to make that your truth. Ephesians 2.10, the NIV version says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Let Jesus rewrite your story. Thanks for joining us. Be blessed. Thank you for tuning in. Roxbury Presbyterian Church is located at 328 Warren Street, right in the heart of Roxbury. Come worship with us on Sundays at 11 a.m. This is a listener-supported program. We invite you to partner with us and learn the many ways that love rules. Visit us on our website, roxburypresbyterianchurch.org, or call us at 617-445-2116. Love will reign if you let me.